0: It's a riddle wrapped inside a mystery, inside an enigma. Uh, that is how Winston Churchill d- described the actions of Russia after World War II. Uh, this is also how many people would describe the will of God. What is God's will for your life? What's God's will for your life in the midst of all the craziness our country's going through? Uh, you have plans for your life. If you're young, maybe you want to go to college, attend graduate school, get a good job, get married, have a family. If you're further along in your career, maybe you want to uh save up money to buy a vacation home and invest enough that you have a comfortable retirement. God has a sovereign plan for this world. We should seek to live by. What is his plan? Uh, grab your Bible and turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. I want to just take you through God's plan for this world just by using that one, one book in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God created the world. So God's wor- the world is part of God's plan. In Genesis 2, we see that God created humankind. Uh, we are the centerpiece of his creation. So we are part of God's plan. In Genesis 3, we see that the devil tempted Adam and Eve, and then God prophesied that the son of the woman would defeat Satan. It was a reference to Jesus, the son of Mary, would defeat Satan. So right from the beginning of the Bible, God's plan was that Jesus would die on the cross for sins and defeat Satan. In Genesis 12, God called Abraham to become the father of the Hebrew nation. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Uh, Hebrew people and Christians have been responsible for starting most schools, hospitals, orphanages, and legal systems throughout the world. So it is true that God has blessed the world through Abraham. In Genesis 15, Abraham and Sarah still did not have a son. So God assured Abraham again that he would become the father of a great nation. In Genesis 18, angels visit Abraham and Sarah. And they say, even though Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, they said, in one year, you will have a baby boy. In Genesis 21, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Uh, God waited until Sarah was 90 to make it obvious that he was supernaturally involved in this birth. In Genesis 22, God tests Abraham's love for him by asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham shows his uh, willingness to do that, and just as he's about to do it, uh, the angel stops him and says no and provides a ram. Uh, for uh, him to uh, sacrifice. In uh, Genesis 24, Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac among his own people, fellow believers. Uh, Abraham says that an angel will give him success. Uh, supernatural help is obvious as uh, he prays and Rebekah comes down and helps him, and she's the one that becomes Isaac's wife. In Genesis 25, we see that Rebekah could not get pregnant. So Isaac prays for God to give them a baby. His father Abraham had been promised to become the father of a great nation, yet he and his wife Rebekah still did not have a son. It's amazing that for the second time, the wife of the one who's the to perpetuate the promise, first Sarah, now Rebekah, can't get pregnant. Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins. Uh, She feels them jostling within her, and it's more than just a normal uh, birth of twins. It's like a portent of things to come. And then she receives a revelation from God. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Uh, She's informed that Esau, her oldest son, will serve Jacob, her youngest son, she undoubtedly tells Isaac. Jacob does become greater. He becomes the father of uh, tw- of 12 sons. The-, the 12 sons become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel become the people into which Jesus Christ will be born to redeem the world from sin. Jesus dies for... Uh, the sins of the world, and then he's raised again, and this propels the gospel message going out into the whole world. A third of people in the world have become followers of Christ. The Hebrew nation and the followers of Christ are God's sovereign plan for reaching the world. Now, let's go back and see how Jacob fits in to God's sovereign plan. Isaac and Rebekah give birth to twins, Esau and Jacob. Uh, God reveals to Rebekah that Esau will serve Jacob, even though Esau is born first. God knows that Jacob will take a, a keener interest in spiritual things. He'll be the better one to carry out the promise to Abraham to become the father of a great nation, which will lead to the birth of Christ. In Genesis 25, we read, When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand, grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Uh, Jacob came out holding on to Esau's heel, kind of like he was trying to pull him back or pull himself ahead. His name means one who takes by the heel. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. Uh, Esau is hairy and unusually strong. He's an outdoorsman who can hardly wait for deer season to roll around. He loves excitement, activity, change, and freedom. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Jacob, on the other hand, is a homebody. He prefers to read the adventures of Tom Sawyer or practice his violin. He's more quiet. The difference between the two boys becomes increasingly apparent as the two grow up. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, "Quick!" Let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. He's been hunting. He's tired. And he's starving. He smells the the food Jacob is uh, cooking. He says, let me have some of that stew. He is so hungry, he can hardly restrain himself. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Jacob said, sure, Esau, you can have some of my stew. But I've been working over the stove all afternoon. What's it worth to you? Your birthright, maybe? And Esau, who could never really see beyond the next meal, said, sure, why not? My birthright, what does that matter if I'm going to starve to death? I'll give it to you. Uh, The birthright in Hebrew culture always went to the first son. It provided the first son with... uh, Uh, advantages, spiritually, economically, and materially. According to the Mosaic law, the right of the firstborn involves a double portion of the father's inheritance and a kind of supremacy over his brothers and sisters. So Jacob makes Esau swear an oath. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Uh, Some people make the mistake of deciding that Jacob is crafty and steals the birthright. The text makes it clear that the emphasis isn't on Jacob stealing his birthright, but on Esau being foolish to give it up. He despises his birthright. He doesn't value it. He doesn't have an appreciation for spiritual things. The one censured in the story is Esau, not Jacob. Now we can understand why God did not choose Esau to carry on the line of the Messiah. That's how God began to work his sovereign plan to have Jacob carry on his promise to Abraham to become the father of a great nation from whom Jesus Christ would ultimately spring. God destined Jacob to become preeminent. His spiritual aggressiveness is not to be looked down on. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Biri, the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elan, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Here we learn that Esau is reckless spiritually. He marries two Canaanite women who draw his heart further away from God. He's not concerned about conserving the spiritual heritage of the family. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hump some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Uh, In Hebrew uh, culture, uh, a blessing was a really big deal. Isaac gives Esau an opportunity to receive his blessing, even though he he knows God revealed to him through Rebekah that Jacob was to get the blessing and become preeminent. Why did Isaac do this? Well, maybe it's because the text tells us a chapter earlier that Isaac preferred Esau. He couldn't quite believe God's plan. Rebecca's lurking in the hallway and hears the whole exchange. She flies into action. She makes quick decisions, as we saw when Abraham's servant went to get a wife for Isaac, and she said on the spot that she would go with him to meet Isaac. Often people mistakenly accused Rebecca of being manipulative and crafty. I see it more like she's God's instrument in carrying out his sovereign plan. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully to do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob says, Mom, are you sure about this? I don't look like Esau. I'm not hairy like Esau. Dad may discover me and I may get a curse instead of a blessing. And she says, Jacob, just trust me. I'll handle this whole thing. Just go out and get the goats. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. He lies. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. when Jacob calls the uh, uh, kid-goats-meat game, uh, this is his second lie. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? Here's our first indication that Isaac wonders if something fishy is going on. The Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. This is sort of a partial lie. It's true that... uh, his his mother told him about you know the blessing and sent him out to get goats and enabled him to get a couple goats, uh, but to bring God's name into the whole transi- transaction as if God had helped him, uh, you know, hunt for the game faster, is really his third lie. Then Isaac said to Jacob, "Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau, or not." Isaac is still questioning. If this is really Esau, Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Uh, Twin boys tend to have similar voices, but Isaac can tell a difference. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. Isaac is still questioning if this is really Esau. I am, he replied. Here's Jacob's fourth lie. I'm not endorsing Jacob's lies or Rebecca's uh, deception. Uh, Maybe you're not a follower of Christ and you say, this is why I don't believe the Bible. There are all these crazy lies and deceptions. But this is one of the reasons I believe the Bible. If you and I were writing the scriptures, we would have kept some of these stories in the closet, but the Bible doesn't do that. It shows the main characters with lies, treachery, cowardice, betrayals, adultery, and even murder. Jacob is to become the father of the Hebrew nation, but here we see he tells lies. He was slicker than a Las Vegas card shark. We can believe the Bible is true because it includes the mistakes and failures of its leading characters. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. Uh, Isaac is still not fully convinced. So he wants Uh, Jacob to come close so that he can smell him. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. A patriarchal blessing is is sort of a prophecy of things to come. Esau will serve Jacob. Uh, Jacob will carry out the promised to Abraham to become the father of many nations. Uh, just as Jacob is sneaking out one door. Esau comes rushing in another and says, "Dad, I've got the stew you asked for." Isaac responds, "Well, who was just here? I just gave him the blessing, and I cannot take it back." The text tells us that Isaac trembled. I think it may have been because he realized he had just given the blessing to Isaac instead of Esau that he got tricked, but maybe. It's because he realized God was working out his sovereign plan to bless Jacob. Isaac knew from Rebekah that Esau was to serve Jacob. God checked Isaac's unwise attempt to give the blessing to Esau. He trembled at seeing the hand of God in what just transpired. So what can we learn from this account about God's sovereign plan? We learn that God can use even our lies, deceptiveness, and failures to bring about His will. Though we don't laud the cunningness and trickery of Rebecca and Jacob, this is how God brought about His plan to bless Jacob and have him become the father of the Hebrew nation from whom Jesus Christ would come. What can we learn about God's plan for your life? God has a sovereign plan for the world we should seek to live by. As I think about God's plan for my life, I learn more about it by looking backward than by looking forward. I seldom can tell God's plan for my future, but as I look back, I can see how God was working in my life to fulfill His plan for me. I grew up in a strong Christian family. Through my church and the organization Young Life, God used me to point and lead quite a few of my friends and some uh, barely acquaintances to Christ. Then God led me to attend college in Portland. And he uh, uh, led me to lead the Young Life Club at Beaverton High School, where over 100 high school students gave their lives to Christ over a two-year period. One of the girls in that club was the daughter of the pastor of Valley Community Presbyterian Church and said, Dad, you've got to hire Ron. He did. I led the youth program there, middle school, high school, and college, for four summers while I was attending college and and seminary. Uh, As a result of some of those relationships, I was called to become the pastor of Sunset Presbyterian Church where I'm sure more than a 1,000 people gave their lives to Christ, including children and youth, probably 2,000. Some of you are in this church as a result of relationships that began in Beaverton Young Life and Valley Community Church. At the end of my college years, I was clearly directed by God to attend Trinity Seminary in Chicago. It was there that I met Jory. I consider it incredible that God led me 2,300 miles across country to meet Jory. If I had not followed his leading to attend a school in Chicago, I can't imagine how I would have ever met Jory. She is an amazing wife. I married her without knowing that her favorite book was cheaper by the dozen. She wanted a large family. I mean, I had no idea. And what do you know? We have nine children. They've all given their lives to Christ, and they are great kids. My family is a huge part of God's plan for my life. Looking back, I can see how God used me in Santa Rosa, California, led me to college in Portland, helped me become the Young Life Leader at Beaverton High School, got me a job at Valley Community Church, Appointed me to graduate school in Chicago. Introduced me to Jory, who became my head uh, girls leader in the Young Life Club. Encouraged me to marry Jory. Brought me back to Portland to become the pastor of Sunset Presbyterian Church, where we gave birth to and adopted nine children. And then through a series of events, brought me to Portland Community Church. You can't always know God's plan for your future. But by looking back, you can see how God has worked in your life. And it gives you a better idea of how God wants to work in your future. You can't always know for sure who God wants you to date or marry or where he wants you to go to school or work. But by looking at how he's led you in the past, you can better understand how he wants to lead you in the future. God's plan is not a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, we can all know God's sovereign plan. God's sovereign plan is for all people in the world, and he spells it out in his word. He wants you to know Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. He wants you to give your life to Christ, to love God with your whole heart, and to love people as yourself. As you follow God's sovereign plan, He will lead you into the next steps for your life. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I would encourage you to do that right now as we pray. Father, thank You that You do have a grand plan for this world. With things going the way they are right now, with coronavirus and the economy much locked down and... Uh, the rioting going on. Uh, it just, its all seems like, what What are you doing, God? But we see that you have a plan for the world, and you have a plan for each one of us. And so we want to just kind of commit ourselves to you, to living out your plan for us. If you've uh, never committed your life to Christ, just in t- tell him you believe he's uh, God's son, and he died for your sins, and that you want Him to come into your life and be your Savior. And tell God you want to live out His plan for your life. Uh, You pray right now. Thank you, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.